Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10? 1 Corinthians 10, we'll be reading verses 14 to 22. That can be found on page 1217 of your Pew Bibles. And we'll also be reading Lord's Day 29 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This can be found on page 232 in your Forms and Prayers book. In God's providence, Lord's Day 29, which is on the Lord's Supper, falls on a day in which we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so we will be reading God's Word from 1 Corinthians, the explanation from the Heidelberg Catechism. That will be our message this morning. This evening, we invite you all to return as we begin a series through the Book of Lamentations. Before we read God's word, let's pray. Lord, we have pled before you in song that you, our master, would speak and we would hear. And that is what we ask again in this formal prayer. Speak to us that we may hear. And may we know the wonder that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Even as we receive Jesus Christ through a sacrament May we then understand what the sacrament means and as well see the heart of God that is presented to us in these elements, in the gracious gift to know assurance that Jesus Christ and all who he is, his whole being has been given to the people. That is as if we have never sinned, as if we have kept the law perfectly. This is what it means to be so united to him and to partake of the bread of life. We pray that we would know this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14 and following. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Ascends the reading of God's word. And here we pay attention, especially to those verses that speak of our participation in the body of Christ and through that one body connection to him. Now we turn to an explanation of the Lord's Supper and Lord's Day 29 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 78. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, So, too, the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. 
Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And Paul used the words of participation in Christ's body and blood. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, He wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. People of God, imagine, if you would, being invited by a close friend to a dinner party, a close friend that you had not seen in a long time and were very excited to go eat with and fellowship with, to converse with. And when you showed up, on your plate was a nice card, a nice picture of a memory the two of you had shared of a good time that you had had. And a caption written across the top by your friend said, Please enjoy this meal and remember me. I wonder if that would prove to be a bit of a disappointment to to us as we had anticipated being able to fellowship with this person and rather we are only left with a picture, a memory of it. Would that not seem to fail to deliver and not be all that we intended it to be? We can ask the same question, what is going on in this supper, particularly with the presence of the Lord in this supper? Have we come to this dinner party that we've been invited to by the Lord, but all that's there is a picture, and just written on the top is, remember this, remember what was done. Memories are good, and in fact, You cannot participate in the Lord's Supper without remembrance. Was not Christ's very words, this do in remembrance of me. It's a a vital aspect of the Lord's Supper itself. Yet is it the only aspect of the Lord's Supper? Is there more going on here than merely bring to mind what was done? It's that as well, but is it more than that? And that's really what the Catechism is seeking to explain, and that's really where we then see how practical it becomes to go to the Lord's people in this sacrament of what do we partake, of what do we participate? A memory or the body and blood of Christ? A memory or Christ himself? Obviously, we know the the latter is a greater blessing to the people than merely a memory. But are we understanding it right to think of that? To think that we come through the Spirit to participate in Christ himself. To think that we don't only feed on bread and wine, but through the hands and mouth of faith, we actually feed on Christ himself. That's the the catechism, what it's supposed to answer As we've gone through this Heidelberg Catechism, you can see how divisive the subject of sacraments were, how there were so many disagreements, and how there was need to come to some kind of resolution. And then what happened is there were varying degrees and sides to this abate who took stances. And some would talk about the presence of the Lord in one way, and another another, and you would would have this confusion. What is the sacrament meaning? 
And it ranges all the way from a failure to understand the gospel and in danger of misunderstanding salvation and, in fact, losing salvation because of a misunderstanding of this table, all the way to a neglect of the command of God, a neglect to respond and participate in a needed dinner party, a needed meal for God's people. That's why we better understand what the sacrament means. And so we look in our first point, questions about Christ's presence. Questions about Christ's presence. Some think that today we don't need to go in-depth into these sacraments, that there's not as much confusion, that we've all sort of come to an agreement. That's what some think, but that's just not true. We are as divided in our understanding of sacraments now as they were then. The lines have not changed, and and the, the, the loss of the debate is not through a greater understanding or some consensus. The loss of the debate has been through ignorance or just apathy. We don't care about it anymore in our day, but we must. We must understand what the Lord presents in this table. Consider this. If we say that the presence of Christ is so connected to these elements and to this table that we actually actually come to a table where the body and blood of Christ are physically present. And that when a priest would utter words, they would become the the real physical body and blood of Christ that you can partake of. What would that mean then to one who would partake without faith? If If the elements truly are the body of Christ, what then to someone who comes without faith? Have they been cleansed? Have they been joined? Look at what we've read from 1 Corinthians 10 in Paul's words. There's this participation. There's a participation with the body of Christ. And so merely ingesting this, has there been a participation with Christ himself and thus cleansing? Now we would say no. But that's not the case. But you see, to to misunderstand that, then you place your faith in the elements. You place your faith in his presence and misunderstand his presence there. Or consider this question. If Christ's physical body is present everywhere communion is taking place, is he sitting on the throne? Can, Can that even happen? Can a true human nature, can true physicality be spread throughout the world to every table as the Lord's Supper is being Served, Is that the answer? Or have we denied what truly is the nature of God and the nature of man? Remember what we confess about God. God is pure spirit. He is not a physical being or substance. The substance of Christ is his human nature. Can the human nature of Christ then be so spread around the world to accommodate a physical presence at the Lord's Supper? These are the type of questions we ask. What's the danger of saying that? What's the danger of saying, yes, his his physicality can be present everywhere. Well, we've lost the true human nature of Christ, have we not? The true human nature of Christ has been swallowed up by a divine attribute, making him no longer what he is, a true man still in heaven, sitting at the throne of God. In fact, we would deny by that the importance that Jesus is there bodily and that his physical body does not descend to this earth until he comes back. That's why it's important and, and we see errors were we to confess that. Or can we escape all these dilemmas by saying Christ isn't actually present here at all? And it is that beginning introduction. It's a memory, a commemoration. It's just a nice gesture. You see, that's 
That's the problem, what that view does, seeming to eliminate the issues of the other two views. What we end up doing is destroying the significance of this table. We destroy what we actually partake of. We misunderstand it. We don't receive the full nourishment there, and it shifts the meaning of a sacrament from what God is graciously coming to give to his people, raising us up to his very presence, and it becomes a nice gesture on our part. Let's all get together, take out our pictures, and just remember. There's far more richness in this sacrament than we often give credit There's so much depth and mystery here that we can't even fully explain it, but we do truly participate in fellowship with Christ himself in this meal at his table. That's what we read, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17 says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Does a, is a memory participation? You see, there's so much there in proclaiming and confessing we participate with him. And look how Paul continues the argument. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Which then leads to a question. Paul's making a grand argument. He's, he's even saying there's a union with believers. But what is the glue that unites these believers together? And he says it's participation in a bread. One bread. By taking a loaf of bread and cutting it into pieces, or, or ripping it off one loaf and, and sending it to the, the body of believers, are we truly bound together? You see, Paul even here is using the language of sacraments. He's using the language of the sign itself to point to that greater reality, to what the sign signifies, that it isn't just a physical loaf of which we partake. The bond of the believers united to each other is through the body of Christ and participation with him. That's the glue that holds the church together. Participation in him and his one body and partaking of the one cup The elements are just bread and wine. There's only a commemoration. There's only a remembrance rather than a participation. These questions bring that profound personal application. In the supper, do you commune with Christ? And do we truly partake of him? Do we partake of the whole Christ and not just remember him? These are all the questions about Christ's presence. And the Catechism answers that in our second point. How Christ is not present. This is question and answer 78. How Christ is not present. This is how we seek to, to defend ourselves against misunderstandings of how Christ is present. We talked about two of those already, saying that the elements become the body and blood of Christ. That's the, the Catholic interpretation and how they believe that when the priest utter the, utters the words at that time, that the body and blood of Christ come down and the elements are, are changed, though the accidents remain, is what they would say. I would say, of course, it still tastes like wine, it still tastes like bread, but the accidents remain the same, but it's actually, truly, the physical body and blood of Christ. Is this the answer? Well, this would lead then to a misunderstanding of what participation with Christ even is. 
This is the, the doctrine of transubstantiation, and, and will then, by simply partaking, we receive Christ without faith? See how that destroys the understanding of the gospel and the understanding of the sacrament itself? Sacraments are meant to be signs, and we can even use the term pictures, examples of a spiritual reality. The sign doesn't become the spiritual reality. Then it's no longer a sign. For, for the table to become that, we don't have a sacrament, we don't have signs and seals of spiritual realities, we have the reality right there, the sign and the thing signified are so merged that we've lost it. And then what's the purpose of the sacramental language? What's the purpose of understanding these things? You see how it destroys that. And this is true as well for uh, an understanding. We could say the Lutheran understanding that they would deny that the bread and wine actually become the physical body. But Christ is physically present in, with, under, around the elements. He's still there. And that raises that issue we already talked about. Can a, can a human nature be present everywhere? These distort the true meaning. And there is a great meaning here. I would say the Lutheran view, in some respects, is closer to our own than the view that says this is only a memory. I say that to impress upon us the importance that we believe there is more going on here than a memorial meal. That we may differ with how the Lutherans explain it and understand it, but that there is a presence of Christ that we must maintain, we must believe. There is a joining of the sign and the thing signified, but it comes through faith and through the Spirit's work in us. The sacrament doesn't give us anything. God's Word doesn't give us. All that's present in the Gospel, all that's present in the Word of God to us is what's conveyed in the sacrament. How do we feed on Christ through the Word? It's a good question to ask. And, and we could ask it this way. If anyone were to pick up the Bible and read it, are they feeding on Christ? If they come to it with unbelief, are they being nourished by Christ? Well, no, they are not. They are reading the very Word of God. That we profess. But see, how do you feed on Christ in the Word? It's through faith. It's through faith. Let's not so disconnect the sacrament from the Word of God. It's not. It's connected to it. And just as we would open our Bibles and read there and be nourished. Here we have that same word, that same gospel given to us, portrayed, and the Spirit comes and we partake of the whole Christ there. But it must be through faith. Which leads then to the question, how Christ is present? How is Christ present? How we, do we partake of Christ himself? And do we partake of the whole Christ? This is question and answer 79. If question answer 78 would keep us from misunderstanding the presence of Christ there, question answer 79 keeps us from denying the presence of Christ in the sacrament. To put it this way, if we remove in all respects the true presence of Christ in the sacrament, we remove the use and purpose of the sacrament. And this is the way most understand it. 
This is also why it's fallen into disuse. This is also why so many in the broader churches don't actually participate of it, because what's the point? What's the point of just remembering it in this way if that's all it is? Why go through the hassle? And I think most churches' responses say, we won't go through that hassle. But when we understand what the mystery and joy of the sacrament is, then we desire to partake. Look at the answer. I'm going to read the question and answer again. Having set aside the fact that Christ isn't present physically, he's not there in that way, it then asks, why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? Why does Paul use the words of participation in Christ's body and blood? The answer, Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood, as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. That is beautiful. That is just beautiful, as the Catechism is explaining and interpreting God's word. See that last paragraph and see the heart of God in it, that he would give us this meal so that we would be assured. Meaning what? So that we wouldn't doubt. That we wouldn't doubt that all that is Christ is given to us. That his whole person is given to us. When you pick up the bread from the plate and the cup from the plate and you partake of these things, we are transported beyond this place. The Holy Spirit is working through our faith so that we partake and, and actually consume Christ spiritually. So that we would know all of him is given to us. Can you become more a part of someone than eating them? That's sort of a graphic analogy, but isn't that the point? Isn't that what gave the Jews themselves stumbling when Jesus said, I am the bread of life and you must partake of me? And we do. To know that all these things are as definitely ours as if we personally had walked around Galilee, as if we personally had hung on a cross, as if, Christ, as if God had said to us, you are forsaken, as well as raised us and seated us at his hand. You see, we, we are in Christ. We are assured that those who partake in true faith have satisfaction of Christ himself and that we are in him. I also want to read a very helpful explanation from the Belgic. It's a long reading, so I'd ask you to turn there. It's on page 194 in your Forms and Prayers book. We're not going to read the whole article. It's the top of page 194. 
I'll start reading on the top of page 194. I believe this is one of the, the clearest and best explanations of the Lord's Supper that, that we have. It says this, He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink it in our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we, we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. Now it is certain that Jesus Christ did not prescribe his sacraments for us in vain, since he works in us all he represents by these holy signs. Although the manner in which he does it goes beyond our understanding and is incomprehensible to us, just as the operation of God's Spirit is hidden and incomprehensible. Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. And that way Jesus Christ remains always seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but he never refrains on that account to communicate himself to us through faith. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death, as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. Thus far, we'll read in that explanation. It's very beautiful to understand what is conveyed to us in this sacrament. That we would actually come to it and not just think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a communion day. It's a Lord's Supper day. It's going to be a longer service, or we have to prepare for it. And, and that's all that we think. Just as that beginning illustration shows, we don't just come with a nice picture, and that's it. We come to receive all of Christ, to be blessed, to participate, to be nourished on him. We owe a debt to these confessions. These confessions are not scripture, but we believe they rightly explain what scripture teaches and you see the clarity with which they navigate all those questions that we began. Do you see how it says these things? That, that the manner in which we partake isn't this physical manner. It's through the Spirit, by, the, by faith, the hands and mouth of the, of the soul. This is how we participate. It, it, it avoids the errors of, Ro the, of the Roman Catholic Church. It, it avoids the errors of the, the Lutheran announce, uh, profession of what they believe, where it says that in this way Christ is still present bodily in heaven. And yet we receive him, and so it, it avoids the errors of those who would say there is no presence of Christ here. And that's how we see it is, this participation, to explain the rich, rich teaching of Scripture. You have such texts as John 6, which, though not speaking at that point of the Lord's Supper per se, that's not when it was instituted, there's a clear forward look to what, would the, what the sacrament would be when Jesus says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 55 of John 6 says, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. What does this then mean to us and to our assurance? It means that when you partake in faith, clinging to Jesus, that munching on the bread, as you're chewing it and swallowing it, is an assurance to you that as you partake in faith, you have partook of Christ. And so heaven is open to you. Heaven is yours. Not because you had the Lord's Supper, but because you came in faith and through the Lord's Supper are nourished and assured of all that Christ has done. His presence is so so great that it's dangerous to misuse this sacrament, to partake without faith. Paul says in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 32 Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What he's saying there is don't come to this table without understanding what you're doing without coming in faith, without coming with the true faith to grasp the body of Christ, lest you partake of judgment on yourself. That's how meaningful this table is. How blessing it is to come to it. As we partake of this in faith, we know that all of Christ, his suffering, his obedience, are as truly and definitely ours as if we've personally made that sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, partake of this meal in that way. Be assured and have your faith restored, uplifted, and nourished to know that even as you partake of these physical means by faith, you are seeing the union of the sign and the spiritual reality that you partake of Christ, that you know him, and that you truly go to him. On that truth, we feast. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you, we anticipate and desire to come and partake of this supper to properly understand that in this we receive the, the natural body and blood of Christ through faith by the Spirit. And Lord, we ask that all that your word proclaims would be present in our minds as well as that we would grow in that understanding, that we would in this way participate with Christ and each other in this great meal that we would see your heart to know that you've given yourself to us and you've seen our weakness to know we need such a meal. And Lord, we come with anticipation and the desire to partake. We praise your name and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ.